Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hey, Brave Commerce listeners. It's Rachel here. Sweets and snacks in Chicago. Are we going to see you there May 23rd to 26th? Both myself and Profitero's Mike Black will be there. I'm going to be speaking on the stage with Sofia Hernandez, who is the global head of business marketing at TikTok. We are going to be talking about the third shelf. You know what that means, social commerce. Sarah, what's Mike going to be talking about? Mike is going to be talking about, I guess, not the third shelf, but he will be talking about winning the digital candy and snack shopper. In a world where Candy Crush is crushing candy sales, how do you win with these omni-channel shoppers? So come on down to Chicago, Sweets and Snacks, May 23rd through 26th, to see myself and Mike Black on the stage. Thanks, guys. You know, digital does play a role to your point and kind of priming and setting up the sale. And then I also think where digital has another interesting kind of added benefit is that it also has the ability to make those emotional connections outside of the transactional. And I think that's where that kind of, you know, where marketing and sales, where digital starts to be at the nexus. I think that's an interesting thing for us even internally is the digital team is doing marketing and we do commercial. And that's where those two things come together. And that's looking at the consumer at the heart. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Rachel, when did you birth Micmac? September 1st, 2014. What was it like starting your own company from nothing. I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot about your various journeys, but like, tell me what the emotional part of what went through your head when you had that, like those first couple of days after say, you, you said you're going to do it. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Now you're doing it. Tell me about like where your head was at the first couple of days. I mean, the first couple of days and until today, you know, seven and a half years later, an insane sense of urgency time is your greatest asset. And every day kind of feels like a ticking time bomb for you to seize the day, create value for your company, your shareholders, and your employees. How does money play into that whole equation? Obviously, you know, you're self-funding, obviously you raise capital over the course of time, but every penny matters. Like, how did you think about it? How did you get other people to think about it? Yeah. So in the early days, I essentially modeled out how long can I live off of no salary? thanks to my time at Gap. And so that was essentially me investing in myself because I didn't make money for a few years. So that was step number one. Step number two was go around with my tin can, selling my vision for the future of commerce and see if I can find a few believers who can invest in this vision. Step three was then finding the early employees who 
felt so passionately about this vision and were willing to essentially put in their sweat equity because in the early days you can barely pay people. And so you have to incentivize them with equity ownership. They become a fellow owner of the company. So they care as much as you do to bring this vision to life. So now here we are seven and a half years later, you have birthed this company, you have raised this company, you have invested the blood, sweat, tears, joy, every ounce of energy and time that you have into this company. And you have assembled a group of Micmacers around the world who are extraordinary and have this great attitude. And many of them have that ownership mentality as you get bigger and you're not paying people in sweat equity anymore. And hopefully actually you definitely are paying people actual salaries and whatnot. How do you keep that owner mentality strong? Yeah. Well, the first thing is everyone at Micmac has equity. So they are an owner of the company. And I feel very strongly about that because I want people to be oriented towards the long-term success. The second is our number one company value. We call it transparency and accountability. I believe that if I provide our employees with all the facts, for example, like our cash position, they will act like an owner because I am instilling trust in them. And with that, that makes them feel empowered to go make the best decisions for the business. And that strategy has worked for me over the last seven and a half years. Really extraordinary. And it is a testament to you, the combination of your confidence and ability and your confidence in knowing that transparency breeds ownership. And it's kind of like that whole, uh, I think it's the Confucius saying, involve me and I will understand. And then the behaviors end up changing. And so creating and refining that ownership mentality as you get bigger and bigger is extremely hard to do, especially when you can't reach every single individual. And, you know, we had this wonderful conversation with Katie Picardi, where they somehow are able to imbue that ownership mentality. How do you think that, how do you think you scaled to, to the size of Bacardi, Rach? Well, to quote one of my earliest investors, Gary Vaynerchuk, the word is patience. And if you can be resilient and be thoughtful about the long term and how to orient your business to get there, and you can stay in the ring longer than anyone else, I believe Micmac can become the size of Bacardi one day. But on that note, let's bring Katie Kirkpatrick onto the show. Katie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I've had the pleasure of getting to know you and working with you over the last several years. And one of the things that is surprising, and I probably should have known this when I started working with Bacardi, is that while you're one of the biggest players in alcohol, you're privately owned. What advantages do you feel being privately owned has allowed the portfolio to grow? Yeah, I think having worked for a lot of public companies myself too, I think it's very refreshing to be on the private side and mainly because... In short, we get to focus on the long-term initiatives versus looking at the short-term and quarter by quarter. So we really do look out at a 10-year period and say, what is it going to take to get the best 10 out of what we're doing? And I think that's as a someone who gets to kind of have that commitment and investment behind doing the right things is, is pretty exciting. You know, one of the things too, I think about Bacardi is it comes with the space of a founder's mentality. So everybody kind of has this sense of like, your business is yours. And so you do treat it as like you're an entrepreneur. 
And with that comes the ability of, of that fearlessness that they, they are very passionate about, which is it's okay to make mistakes. We're going to learn from them. We can try new things, but I think that type of permission really does give everybody this chance to be focused on the long-term, but also think about these innovative ways to get there or leapfrog. So it's just been coming from some of the other places that I've been, this kind of family mentality is definitely a game changer and kind of the culture and how we get to work and how we get to execute. Yeah. I think one of the prime examples is just the commitment from Bacardi around sustainability. I mean, these are long-term goals that you guys are clearly investing in. Yeah. And it, and it goes beyond, I mean, from sustainability to well-being, um, you know, we have a really strong group and there's an amazing, another great woman at the head of that too, Jamie Lipman, who's leading that. It's very refreshing to know that it's really embedded and ingrained throughout the entire company, whether it's from packaging or it's to how we show up in digital, the value system is definitely present. That's really exceptional. I love the founder's mentality. I have long said, and I know Rachel believes this too, is when you've got that mentality, like you said, you treat that money as if it's your own. You don't end up seeing a lot of padded expense accounts when that happens. And so it just creates a sense of not just ownership, but also a healthy, responsible way of working and way of thinking and pride, just tremendous pride in the work that you do. And you also feel like your fingerprints are on it. So there's something very special about that. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. I couldn't agree more. Such a fun place to be. I, I can't, it's hard to put it into words, quite frankly, because you can't really, a lot of it is action-based. So it's like, we can talk about it, but when you see it and you see it happening on a daily basis, it's, it is a pretty magical thing to see in practice. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that we've seen, obviously, over the past couple of years, Last mile delivery exploded within the alcohol category. And you know, Rachel and I have spoken with a number of guests about this more during the pre-vaccination days when people were really stuck at home and everybody was, you know, riding on the unsurprising rise in demand. So here we are in May of 22. Where do you see last mile delivery playing in your space? Do you think it's going to continue to grow, steady, decline? What do you think consumers want? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things happening. From an on-demand or kind of last mile delivery, I think what the pandemic proved is that there is a, a need for that and that there's a desire for it. And so I think while we're getting back to whatever the new normal is and we're starting to see potentially that slow a little bit, I do think it's not for the long term. I think Drizzly, Reserve Bar, Instacart, they've shown the value of that. I do think there's some new players as we look at DoorDash and Uber Eats and, and there are different models of how they might be able to kind of deliver on that need. A new and exciting way is going to be uh, over the next year or two kind of 
the ones to watch and like go puff. But I also think where it gets really exciting is in the mass and the retailer space, because as they start to build up their digital capabilities and, and a lot of these retailers have them, right? They're all on different kind of journeys, I guess, within their omni-channel practice, but in most categories, they're pretty advanced. I think where we would like to see more advancement happening is in the BevAlk industry. And so, and of course, as you guys know, the constraints and the limitations that add to the pressure of figuring that out, whether that's state by state or, you know, by different geographies, the great news is, is that a lot of them have more advanced consumer experiences in omni-channel and other categories. And so I think what we have the opportunity to do is help prove why BevAlk will play a, a really important role in their growth and their acceleration of being able to deliver that best consumer experience and, and open up to our category. The limitations that we have with legal and our state-by-state laws typically is what makes it harder, I think, for some of these more national players to kind of adopt this kind of way of thinking. But we feel really confident that we can start to show how spirits is a destination category. And not only will help grow those baskets, but make those baskets stickier. The omni-channel or the hybrid shopper is definitely going to want that on-demand. So going back to where does on-demand or that last mile delivery, I don't think that convenience factor will go away. I think it'll just get more sticky and more exciting when it's part of the retailer that they're already shopping. That's where I think we see the volume and the value really starting to take off. Do you feel once mass retail gets into last mile that all of a sudden Uber Eats, DoorDash, GoPuff, their business is threatened? I don't think so. I think that there's going to be those national retailers that are just kind of big players who are going to have that capability in-house and they're going to master it. And some of them already have. It's just about extending it to our category. I do think that Instacart and GoPuff has a completely different model, right? They're starting to look at it with a brick and mortar approach too, which is really interesting because having from my fashion days, we know the peer players, they really had to eventually understand the brick and mortar piece of it for them to really be competitive in the space once they got past being in the leapfrog years of being more advanced with data or being more advanced with consumer experience. Eventually those brick and mortar companies will catch up and then you're, you're going to be kind of missing a channel offering. So I think that's going to be a place where they're going to have to play. But I do think Instacart, there's a lot of different, you know, whether it's independent liquor stores, they're not going to have the luxury of the investments of building those capabilities in-house and they're still going to need marketplaces. I do think those marketplaces might shift to who their customers might be, but I don't know if they'll go away. But again, crystal ball, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Well, we count on you to be the crystal ball because Rachel and I are going to figure this out. That's for darn sure. But I think you're raising a very interesting point and especially raising the point from fashion, because if you look at some of the trends, whether that's digital commerce penetration or just other trends about research online by offline, things like that, we're at this point where like, let's say electronics, think of electronics, like 50% of electronics are now bought online, at least in the States. And 15 to 20% of beauty products, maybe 5 to 10% of food products, and alcohol is still in the single digit. What's different, though, about your category in particular is the difference between the researching online and the buying offline, and that all of that is sometimes happening in the store. So people will go into an Omni store. It could be a Total Wine. It could be a Walmart. It could be a local liquor store. And then they'll still go to the retailer website to look for the product content, the ratings and reviews, the price comparisons. Could they get it better somewhere else? And so it's so hard even to think about this 
as one channel versus another or one form of delivery versus another. How do you kind of square all of that out? Because it's just messy. Well, and then do that with the blindfold. I mean, I think that's the other thing that we have is that a lot of what we think we know, we're also blind to, right? We don't see the data or we don't have transparency of where the transactions are always happening. But you're hitting a point that's so true. And something we talk about a lot at Bacardi too is the direct sales is one piece of it and it's important. But then as you think about the digital shelf, which is where you're touching on is how people are browsing and shopping before they go in store. We know 62% of our sales are in store digitally influenced. That's not small. We also know that around 70 to 80% of shoppers are omni-channel shoppers or hybrids. So they don't choose, they're not just store shoppers and they're not just online shoppers. They're multi-channel, they're omni-channel shoppers. And so, you know, digital does play a role to your point and kind of priming and setting up the sale. And then I also think where digital has another interesting kind of added benefit is that it also has the ability to make those emotional connections outside of the transactional. And I think that's where that kind of, you know, where marketing and sales, where digital starts to be at the nexus. I think that's an interesting thing for us, even internally, is the digital team is doing marketing and we do commercial. And that's where those two things come together. And that's looking at the consumer at the heart. Katie, you're talking about so many of Sarah, my favorite, I would call it e-commerce cocktail, where we're blending all these different disciplines. And, you know, what we constantly see is brands really struggling internally to tell the story that you just told. So marketing and sales can work together to win with the retailer. You take that complexity, and then I'm sure internally at Bacardi, you're also talking about the universe of D2C versus mass retail. Would love to hear how you guys are approaching that while still making sure that your retail partners are happy. The good news for us is that we do see it very differently than the retail space. So the easiest way, I think, to set up our D2C vision is that it's not about selling the product, it's about selling the brand. And that means that our merchandising strategy and our approach, it's not competitive at all. It's complementary to our customers' um, strategy. So we're really focused on premium experiences, premium um, pairings, whether that's merchandise and liquid together, which is you know really hard to do, by the way, from regulatory perspective, especially in the US, not so much outside of the US. But when we're talking about selling the brand, then we're really thinking about a totally different strategy and saying, well, what can we give someone that's more like a member versus a consumer. So, you know, how do we start to think about what drives loyalty beyond reason? And where can we start to kind of take away those very rational factors like pricing and packaging and placement, which is where we compete in the retail space and and focus more on the emotional and more of the irrational and say, well, what can we provide? Is it access to the best bars in the world? Is it front row seats to the next Life is Beautiful concert with Bacardi and kind of thinking about those sensory moments where we can add so much more through our community and through our kind of idea of thinking through how do we bring members in and really cater to them and service them in a way that, you know, has a care model attached to it, which is a little bit different than where we play in the supplier mentality. It's more of like a shopkeeper mentality. It makes complete sense. So, you know, on that note of just trying to aim really high in the premium category and, and thinking of people as, as members. From like a PL standpoint, is there a perspective on the business of like, 
how much revenue to expect from that. This is where going back to why it's great working at Bacardi, because we do focus on the long term. And so we are looking at other metrics beyond revenue about what does a high value consumer mean? And what does it mean to Bacardi? Especially if you talk to anyone in the spirit space, first party data is most likely new because it really wasn't a close consumer product in that way, especially with the three-tier system in the U.S., we have so many distribution points that kind of keep us more disconnected. But I think where we would see that is how do we look at engagement? How do we look at the long-term? What does it mean to bring someone into the fold in our portfolio? I know you and I've talked about the home bar. We have amazing portfolio that really does provide an experience of how people think about making cocktails at home. And there's a great way for us to leverage that and also to kind of show people it's easy. They can build confidence in doing it. And I think that's kind of where we come at it is more of like we are in the service and the hospitality industry. And I think that's why our approach is a little more focused on how do we serve the consumer versus what are we going to extract from it? It's more about how do we add value to them versus what are we going to extract from them? Well, sadly, we have to ask you our famous last question, which is, Katie, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Well, this one is more personal for me. And I, and I know, Rachel, you reached out. The bravest thing I've ever had to do most recently is my dad had ALS and it was a very, um, I don't know if it's brave because I didn't get to choose to do it, but definitely the most courageous I've had to, had to really ever be. And I, I have three other strong women in my family and my dad was pretty amazing. And I can tell you that after you go through something like that, being on your first podcast, like today, the nerves and the things that you get over other big moments, it's like, oh man, we can do anything. Cause if he can do that, I can, I can do anything too. So that's probably my, my bravest moment. Well, Katie, watching you navigate that with your kids and living in UK and then coming back to the U S I can say that you are extremely brave and strong and brilliant. And I'm honored to have you in our circle. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been so much fun. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.